welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittas Whelan, and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll. How are you, Steve? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good, very good. Uh, we've also got a special guest returning to the podcast, is uh, the Athletics' finest, Stuart James. How are you, Stu? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back on again. Well, pleasure. Thanks for making time for us. Um, I guess we should start off with you, um, Stu, by asking for your overall impressions on the transfer window. Um, we've well, you've covered quite a few transfer windows at the Swans and, of course, at many other clubs. Um, how does this one compare with other ones over recent years, for, in your opinion? Well, deadline day in the end was surprisingly quiet, really. Um, I, I didn't imagine that would be the case. Uh, and yes, there's been some really crazy ones over the last uh, four or five years. I think I tweeted a few days ago about how many deals we'd done on deadline day, ins and outs, which was uh, somewhere around the high 30s. Um, I think um, overall it was a pretty good window. Obviously, um, getting Joey Allen back was was fantastic. That was mooted for some time, but it was dragging on a little bit at one stage and I was getting slightly concerned someone else would end up taking him. Um, I guess the the biggest thing for me personally is to keep Pirro. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that would have been possible at the start of the window. I imagined he would go probably more than downs, actually. Um, and there was a fear that we'd lose both of those. I think a lot of fans would have probably... Um, felt that way. So to lose just one of them and to keep um, our top scorer last season um, was was really big. Um, some of the others, it's obviously not been an easy time. The, the, the team's not made a fantastic start to the season and I never like judging anyone too soon. Uh, Sorinola's obviously had a bit of a difficult start, um, played much better at Stoke by the sound of things. But, um, you know, you want to try and give people a little bit of time. Nathan Wood has been excellent, I think. Uh, you know, there's been a couple of mistakes he's made, but I think you have to uh, allow for that. And on the whole, I feel he's, he's getting better and better. He's brave on the ball. He's aggressive. And I think the last couple of games, I mean, I really enjoyed watching him play on Saturday. I thought he was superb. So that's been a really prom promising addition. Um, and then you seem to have signed a, a flurry of young players, obviously, on um, across the last last week of the window uh, from, you know, Premier League clubs in be interesting to see how they're integrated. I guess the big one really that hasn't quite hit the ground running, despite scoring a brilliant goal on the opening day, is, is Darling yet. Yeah. I was surprised he didn't play on 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 Saturday ahead of Cabango, to be honest. Um, but everyone tells me he's a really good player. The bits I'd seen of him before he signed looked um, like he was a, a typical Swansea player, a, you know, obviously a Russell Martin player, but a Swansea player and someone who's going to be comfortable on the ball back there. So I hope with time, he can he can find his way, um, but yeah, that's um, on the whole pretty good. Um, I think we have to be fairly pleased with with things, but time will tell really on a few of those young players and whether they can come in and make the sort of impact that some of the loan signings did under Steve Cooper. Steve, um, as a fan, how did you see the window? Um, I think the emotions among the fan base were. They fluctuated quite a bit, as is pretty standard over the summer period. But we always say, let's leave it until the de the window closes before we fully judge how a club has done. How how would you assess the Swans' performance in the window? I think it's, it's probably turned out a bit better than we we expected in the end, due to the the added influx of those lone players late on. Really, I mean, it's it has felt a lot like it's been someone will leave and then. We have to wait to get someone. The, when, when, well, I should say when someone leaves, that's what, only when we'll bring anybody in. And I mean, 
when Flynn Downs left, Joe Allen came in. Like, did think that we then would have brought one or two in more after that. We didn't really do it, did we? So, I mean, I think what it showed was, I mean, you look at the bench for some of the games that we're going to go on to discuss. Middlesbrough being a great example. Um, and it just looked really weak. So, we just felt like we needed some extra players. And in the end, we've done that now. And obviously, we were crying out for a, a right back or a, a right wing back. And in the end, right at the death, we did get somebody in there. So, that's a good thing. And obviously, we brought a, a wide player in, which... I think that's good because it does give us other options then because obviously Martin in general hasn't played with wide players, although that may now change. And obviously we we strengthened in the centre and midfield as well. So it does feel now as if we have got options. Like when you looked at the bench for Saturday's game, it did look significantly stronger. And obviously there were two absentees as well um, from the squad. So whereas before it felt a bit like everybody had to be in there and then we still have youngsters on the bench. So... I do feel more encouraged now and I feel like there is a little bit of depth there and we don't have any glaring um, positions in, in the side that we're desperate to bring uh, in a stronger player. So I think it's it's been a reasonable window in the end, but I think also we, we should have acted a bit quicker with some of those lone players. There was no reason why I don't think why they couldn't have come in sooner. I know you could point to the fact that maybe Ryan Bennett come into a settlement that may have freed up some wages, but I mean, at the same time, loan players probably not costing a lot of money. I, I think we should have tried to help the manager out a, a little bit earlier, really. Yeah, Steve, what is your take on the Ryan Bennett um, situation? Obviously, he's fallen out of favour at, uh, at the club, um, but he seems to have cancelled his contract. We don't know the exact details of it, but um, yeah, it, it, is it a good thing or... You know, there were some people saying with our defensive difficulties in the early stages, it was um, that maybe we should have should have considered reintegrating him into the team. It is an interesting one, really, because obviously there's a few players in the squad that I think the manager would would like to move on, ideally, like Jay Fulton and obviously Liam Walsh, who got injured. That, that's why he's still here. But um, I mean, with Bennett, it really did seem like there was no way back and almost they would be in you know, quite cold and clear cut with him. He wasn't even given the squad number, obviously, was he? So, I mean, there was talk that with him being on 49 appearances that that may have something to do with it. There's some sort of a clause in the contract, maybe. Um, so I, I don't know is the honest answer with that. But it did seem a little harsh on, on the face of it. And you do never know. I mean, if we were to carry on with the slump and the manager changed, then the, the next manager in theory could have looked to reintegrate him. But... Um, it was fairly obvious that Martin had uh, nailed his colour to the mass with that. So, in that sense, it was the right decision in the end because, I mean, we, it's, it's poor for the player. He, he wants to play somewhere, I would have thought, and he doesn't want to just sit on a contract for four months doing nothing. And, um, you know, from our point of view, if we've come to a settlement where, obviously, he's accepted a little bit less than uh, what his full contract was to, to move on and possibly get a, a different club, then, obviously, it's a good thing for us if he's not going to play. So, but it is a little bit of a strange one, isn't it? I think there's, you know, there, I, I think we certainly haven't been told everything there. Mm. No, absolutely not. And um, yeah, um, Stu, what, what, I don't know if you've heard anything else about the, you know, the exact um, details of, of the settlement, but um, it's a strange one, isn't it? That in these circumstances, we've got a player who um, was pivotal under one manager, um, and then another manager comes along and just doesn't face doesn't fit, and um, football can change very, very quickly sometimes, can't it? Yes, it can. And you know, in fairness, he had a real 
Um, purple patch, I seem to recall, under Steve Cooper. I'm trying to think of that that time, maybe when we beat Norwich to go, I think they were top of the league and we were second and we were sort of going for automatic almost at that stage, it felt. And yeah, I, I just had a, he, he was really, you know, a real pillar at the back there for us. But we were playing uh, a different way to how we play now. We were nothing like as expansive then. And I think there was always a feeling that Bennett might be vulnerable um, once Russell Martin came in, really. I couldn't really see him um, playing that way. And and that's how it sort of uh, panned out over time, I guess. And you also look at our options at the back. I mean, we said Dar- I said Darlene didn't play on the weekend. So you've got someone there. Latibodia is not going to be out as long as we thought he was, although he's obviously played in other positions. Um, Brandon Cooper stood around. There are, there are people who can play there. Um, and uh, yeah, I think when you look back on it, it all feels very odd to me, his signing. It, it was last minute deal. Nat Phillips was lined up to come from Liverpool. And it was fairly clear that Liverpool were quite upset about how all that was handled. It seemed like a deal was done there and we pulled out of that one. And then we did Bennett, which of course, with the benefit of hindsight now, it, you know, Nat Phillips is uh uh, has gone on and done really, really well. And he would have been an asset, his age, et cetera. Um, it's a real shame looking back that we didn't didn't make that signing. But yeah, I think it got a bit messy with Bennett. I think there were opportunities for him to go elsewhere. And, you know, as ever with these things, you know, the club's negotiating and trying to get the best deal for them. And Bennett wants to still be, um, you know, in a, in a good financial position himself, especially with his career coming to the end. So in the end, we do, I think, I think some people are a little bit naive <laughs> from some of the takes I saw on social media, thinking that Bennett had sort of torn up his contract and said, okay, I'll leave. And that's final. Um, you don't bother paying me any money. Uh, it didn't quite work like that and nor should it, you know, we, we gave Bennett a three year contract and if that's the case, then, um, you know, no one can blame him for holding out for, um, whatever he feels he, he deserves. So yeah, I'm sure we've saved some money, probably not as much as we would have hoped. And yeah, that's kind of the, the end of that chapter, but I don't, I think the only circumstances I could have seen him playing for Swansea again were if there was a change of manager. And to be honest, you know, this sounds harsh because he had some really good games under Cooper, but when I, what sticks in my mind, when I think of, you know, his time under Russell Martin, I remember that sack, you remember the Southampton FA cup game. Um, I'm sure he came, did he come on in that one? I'm trying to think, but I just remember him being really exposed for, for a goal or two. And, and it just felt like quite uncomfortable really um, watching and, and, and I think then I sort of thought, yeah, this is, you know, you're really not going to ever suit this style of football. So yeah, there we go. Um, uh, uh, another one bites the dust, so to speak. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the lasting images I'll have of uh, Ryan Bennett is him constantly just cynically fouling players as they run past him, <laughs> just because he, he knew he was never going to be, be able to catch up. So, yeah, just drag him back or give him a good kick um, and take the yellow card. Yeah. Um, and then just hope he doesn't pick up another one before the, the 90s up. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's fair to say he wasn't your typical Russell Martin footballer. Um, so, yeah, not a surprise that he's gone and and probably best for all parties in the end. And, and hopefully as well, a lesson for the club not to not to give those kind of contracts to players in their 30s um, from now on. Because um, I think I, I remember the time thinking that th- a three-year deal felt like a lot. And that was before I found out roughly how much money he was on um it's um yeah that you know you look at this summer and the fact that we've brought back joe allen who is a very popular player 
um, but he's only been given a two-year deal. I assume he's on decent wages as well, but but it's only a two-year deal, so there's less risk there than than was with the Bennett transfer. So hopefully um, we've learned from um, from that one. Um, the one transfer Stu that we were possibly worried about on uh, on deadline day was um, the one of Michael Obafemi. Um, how much interest was there really from Burnley? Was there ever a feeling that it could be on um, or, or were the two clubs just always way too far apart in terms of the valuation? Yeah, I think very much the latter. Because, uh, I mean, that that was certainly the feeling I got from talking to people around deadline day um, and um, through uh, my colleague at The Athletic as well, who covers Burnley, that, that the two clubs were never close on this. Um you know, I guess in the past, as supporters, we've criticised the club in the recent past for not um, negotiating harder on some deals. So, um, you know, there might have been a feeling beforehand, oh, well, we'll, we'll end up caving in and Obafemi will go for a lot less than he's worth. But in fairness to the club, they obviously had their valuation. How it was explained to me was that Burnley um, were trying to get closer to that valuation without ever meeting it, but also through an awful lot of add-ons. And that's obviously something that clubs want to avoid. They want to take, um, you know, risk out of, of that situation and have guaranteed uh, money, which, which um, quite simply was was never significant. It was never enough in terms of how Burnley were trying to structure that deal. So, I th- the other thing on this is, I think Obafemi. If I try and detach myself from like you know the the, the, the Swansea side of things, I just think he's very very hard to value. Um, in in the sense that you look at last season, I think he scored one in his first 15 games. Um, he, he's obviously had a stop-start time at Southampton before that. He's been in international setup out of it. He got back in it again towards the end of last season. He had a brilliant second half of the season for us, scored a lot of goals. Um, but then there are other parts of his game that still feel quite raw. I don't know how you two feel. I mean, in terms of his link-up play, that's obviously not one of his strengths. His finishing can be erratic. It can be... You know, you can see at the moment you have at Rotherham and then you can have the Millwall goal, which was a terrific goal. Takes it brilliantly. Um, his pace is obviously a big asset for us, especially a team that doesn't have a lot of pace. Um, but I don't know. I honestly don't know if Obafemi had gone to Burnley. I, I don't know whether he'd have gone and scored 20, 25 goals and helped them win promotion or, or it would have been a completely... Um, different story I certainly wouldn't you know put him in the bracket if you think of other championship strikers I think Perot is a, a totally different player but for me is worth is worth much more and then you I guess you look at people like um you know Brett and Diaz who who Blackburn were turning down good money for um yeah it, it, it's, it's hard to know a little part of me and I know some a lot of fans would disagree with this I wouldn't have been overly troubled if Obafemi had gone as long as we could have got another striker in and uh, another permanent deal, which I think might have been possible. Um, not a permanent deal for a striker, I don't mean, but in another area. Um, I, I was sort of more open to that because I also look and think Perot's form wasn't in the first half, uh, start of the season, sorry. I, I don't know. I've, I've, I felt like he, he needed to go and play number nine again um, and get in those areas where he, we know he's such a brilliant finisher. And I know he dovetailed with Obafemi well in the second half of last season, but I just felt he needed to go back to that position. So all of that made me feel slightly different about it, I think, to to the fans. And, of course, the great thing we don't know now is how Obafemi responds to this, other than Russell Martin saying he went in the right frame of mind to play on Saturday, which isn't great. So hopefully he clears his head 
comes back and regains that second half of the season form. But that's the great unknown. I, I don't know if either of you um, listened to the Not The Top 20 podcast, um, but this week um, it, they uh, revealed actually that Obafemi, while we were playing um, against QPR the weekend, obviously Russell Martin had told him they could have um, the weekend off because um, his mind was not in the right place apparently. Um, but it seems Obafemi spent his Saturday going to watch Sutton against Harrogate in League Two, um, which is which is phenomenal, really, I think. Um, it's it's just not what you expect uh, a player to do with his Saturday off. But, um, um, yeah, that he was spotted in the away end at Sutton, um, wow. which is which is not the most glamorous of places to find um, a player who um, just 24... Well, a couple of hours earlier was um, the subject of, of major multi-million pound um, transfer speculation. But... Yeah, apparently that that's where he went. Um, Steve, what what's your take on the Obafemi situation? One, would you, how would you have felt if that deal had gone through? Are you happy that we have kept him? And two, I guess a pertinent question: um, Where do you see him now that he's stayed? Because in the last few games, Joel Piru has been moved to um, back back up front as the main striker, and he's done well. I think it's fair to say so. It, does Obafemi get back into this team? Um, I think it's a tricky one, really, isn't it? Because we don't know what Obafemi is going to be like now with his his attitude, really. I mean, if you look at the first half of last season, obviously his impact wasn't great, and there were occasions where Martin wasn't putting him on the bench, which you know indicates really that he wasn't happy with him in in training and or possibly his attitude and, and this type of thing. And you know, obviously that's not a good sign at all. Uh, so you fear now, don't you, in some ways, that, well, what's going to happen uh, that now that this move has fallen through, really? So it, it is a bit of a concern with, with Oberfemi. I mean, I think if he's not back in the squad this weekend at Birmingham, then I think we should be concerned, I've got to be honest, because, you know, there's, there's, it shouldn't take this long to get over a move like this, should it? So I, I think by this Saturday, we'll have a bit more of an idea of, of what's going on. So... That's how I'm looking at it like that. But I mean, as you say, the other question, Joel Perot obviously has moved back up front and we we will get on to talking about it, but it does seem to have suited us better. So, and obviously Perot now has scored in the last couple of games, both from open play as opposed to obviously there was the penalty at Middlesbrough, wasn't there? So, I mean, it does feel now like we, maybe we've got more balance in the team and we've got players playing in their you know, more natural positions. And I'm looking at it now and thinking, well, Michael, even if you get your head right, you're on the bench, mate. You're going to have to do something to get back into the team. So I th- it might, it could be a lose-lose for him, really. Obviously, the move has fallen through, and it looks like he obviously really wanted to go if uh, a deal had been accepted. But now we've sort of, without him, have got stumbled across like a different way. It's worked better in the last couple of games, and he's going to now have to wait for an opportunity to get back in. But, I mean, he's going to have to knuckle down. There's no two ways about it, because if he doesn't, he won't play at all. And if he's not playing, nobody else is going to want him. Or if they do want him, it'll be like a lesser club than the Swans. So, yeah, he needs to think very carefully now about his actions going forward because, as I say, I mean, he it's on him and he needs to make sure that he's back in this team if he wants to really progress with his career. Yeah, it, it's a really strange and unusual position. And, and um, it's going to be we, well, it's going to be very interesting to see um, what role he plays on Saturday against Birmingham. We'll get on to that game later. But um, 
Stu, let's go back because um, there have been a couple of games since we uh, last recorded. Um, two of them were, were pretty insipid defeats, uh, one at home to Luton and one away at Middlesbrough. Pretty similar in many ways, games where the Swans looked very low on energy, low on ideas, uh, had a lot of possession, didn't do much with it, very much the worst of um, Martin Ball, really. And I, after those games, there was quite a bit of pressure from fa- from some sections of support um, for Russell Martin. You know, the, the Martin out camp seemed to be swelling. Um, did you, how did you feel after those two games? Were you in any way worried for the manager? It's always hard to know, isn't it? It's so difficult to know whether the mood um, on social media, how representative that is of, how everyone feels that said um i was in the stadium for the luton game and uh and you know let's not sort of sugarcoat it it was a really disappointing performance and it was really really flat in the stadium and i think one of the things that worried me i felt it against blackburn for it then to happen against luton was the fact that when we went two down i never for any moment felt we could get back into the game and yet there was still quite a bit of time left. There wasn't Millwall time left. <laughs> there was, you know, enough time when you're playing at home, um, you know, no disrespect, it's against Luton. You're not playing a, a Burnley or a Watford or a Norwich. You're thinking, well, we should be able to get a bit of momentum here and put a bit of pressure on. And yet it never felt like we were going to do that. It was almost just like we accepted our fate. And I think that coming on the back of, the Millwall results, not the Millwall performance, because there was some really good football against Millwall, but the result, which obviously shaped how we all felt leaving the stadium that night and the home game before that against uh, Blackburn, you, you just you just sort of couldn't help but feel concerned. Also because, and I know the championship's a crazy league, but on paper it felt like we'd had a fairly gentle start. Um and I remember doing that silly thing of looking at the fixtures early on and thinking, oh, if we can get sort of 10 points or so on the board here from five games. And, and then, yeah, I'm walking out the ground after the Luton game thinking, where are we going? Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I would have been surprised if the board um, would have, you know, done anything in relation to Martin if, if you know, even if Saturday's result hadn't gone well or say we'd lost at Stoke and lost on Saturday. I, I, I wouldn't have seen that happening. But, I, you know, I think the win on... Uh, the most recent win, and I know you'll come on to that, just just felt big. You know, four points in that week and just seeing a game out just felt felt huge. But yeah, you can't, um, uh, as I said, you know, before, you, you, you can't uh, shape it any other way. Luton was really, really worrying for me. Um, I, I haven't been to the away games. I haven't seen those, but but I just, that performance just felt so, so flat. I couldn't see, there wasn't any sort of tempo to our play. There's, I think, I think I recall five minutes at the start of the second half where we had a bit of a go, and and then it just seemed to disappear just as quickly. And and then uh, yeah, the goal just felt a bit like the Brayton Diaz goal, really, where you're sort of, you know, why is it that you know we can have all that possession and they just break away, get one opportunity, it's in the back of our net. Um, so yeah, re- really disappointing those those games. Steve, were you up in Middlesbrough? Uh, no, thank God. I was not there, but I did see it. Um, it was not inspiring, to say the least. That's poor you didn't go to that, Mr. Carroll. Really poor uh, commitment on your part. Yeah, you know, what What can I say? Um, I picked off Middlesbrough. It was all it was as uninspiring as I was always told, and um, I wisely decided I will probably never go there again. 
It's not like you to turn down a weekend in the northeast. <laughs> well, I was actually at a wedding on the Thursday and then at Foss last on the Friday, so that has something to do with it. But also, obviously, this year we do have Sunderland, don't we? So, um, yeah, that's my northeast trip this year. Yeah, it. I mean, Middlesbrough sounded grim. I was, um, I was actually up in the northeast that weekend, but I was on a stag do in Newcastle. Um, and it just so happened the morning uh, of the match, I was walking uh, around Newcastle and bumped into uh, Ben Cabango and um, Liam Cullen and um, just, you know, wished them luck for the game, etc. And uh, fat or good that did because Cabango was sent off then later in the afternoon. So I gave him the kiss of death. Um, so I, I'll, I'll take full full responsibility for that red card. But it, it, it definitely summed up the afternoon from what I could see because it just... Uh, just listening to the commentary, listening to kind of Gillette Soccer Saturday, etc. It didn't, it just sounded like nothing was going right. And a Middlesbrough team who I think at that stage hadn't won yet this season um, were made to look um, much, much better than they probably were by the fact that we just didn't turn up. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it was just too easy, really. I mean, I look at obviously the first goal, Congreve has given the ball away. But, I mean, he's done it in an area where, you know, it's on the halfway line. You know, there's no immediate danger of a goal there. Yeah, within a few seconds, there's a sprint forward, a pass, and the ball's in the back of the net. It just felt like we were so open. I think that was what disturbed me the most, really. I mean, you, you know, teams do give the ball away, don't they, in, in certain areas. And it, it always happens during the game where, you know, you know yeah, there's always stray passes. But for me, that one felt a bit like, yeah, it's a stray pass. But there's no way we should have conceded so quickly from it. So... I think that was my concern and obviously he got hooked not long after and I thought that was harsh because nobody was playing particularly well but we were just really poor but exposed open we didn't create a lot it was it was a really concerning performance in Middlesbrough one and we got what was a soft penalty Perot was stuck it in obviously which is good but I mean even after that we never looked like you know scoring and Cabango's foolishly got himself sent off as well then which didn't help and you're just thinking you know, this is really poor. And that was what I was, my overriding thoughts were. And if I'm honest, I think a lot of people uh, that were on that trip, if they were staying in Newcastle, probably didn't stay until the final whistle. They'd have been thinking, well, we're doomed here and probably weren't there when the penalty were, was given. So, yeah, we, we were poor. Um, it was another frustrating one. And I think at that point, the you know, the knives were out on the manager because obviously we'd, we'd had, I think it was, what did we have by then? Six games, was it, I think? And, you know, it'd been another poor one and you know, people were getting frustrated and I, I can understand why. Mm, I think it's the nature of performances as well as the results, wasn't it? I mean, we've, we've had some good moments. Don't get me wrong. The Millwall performance was was really good, I thought. Um, it's just a shame that we collapsed in, the, in added time. Um, but, but there have been some stinkers so far this season. And, and I think that's what's brought the pressure on because last season we saw a lot of those kind of games where... Um, you know, we, we could play very well in some games and then the next game it would be utterly appalling, quite frankly. Um, and I think there was a lot of patience and a lot of forgiveness for that last season. But there was um, an assumption that things would get better this season and we'd see far less of those games. And um, to see the likes of Blackburn, Luton, Middlesbrough, all games where, you know, we, we, we just did everything wrong basically and, and just the wrong approach just playing into the opposition's hands um, and, and losing pretty meekly um, it just gave the impression that things hadn't changed so a lot of pressure going into um, the Stoke match Steve um, 
and when early on, um, I think I think it, I think I'm right in saying was that was the um, Dwight Gale chance before we took the lead. Um, yeah, about a minute or so before. Yeah, I mean that's you know you're trying to calm everybody down, trying to get everybody back on side, and then you create you you very nearly concede that goal. First of all, the long range effort that comes off the crossbar, and then the the rebound. Um, saved on the line by Fisher. I mean, at that point, I'll be honest. I was thinking, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another one of those nights. Yeah, I mean that that goal kick routine. I mean, I think that there's ever an example of why we shouldn't do it. It was that. I mean, it, it just gains you nothing, and it's so risky. And you know, why, why are we are we doing it? We nearly paid a price that we probably deserve to pay from it. There, where I can't remember who it was from the long range took a great shot that hit the bar, and obviously. Gale was was close to scoring them from the rebound, but I mean, as you say, it just felt like we, you know, we were really shooting ourselves in the foot early on. And I mean, there's a great piece from me and Mitchell Moore um, in Wales Online uh, this week, and he's looked into it a bit. And I think we've done it 27 times this season that goal kick routine, and it's not led to a shot once. I think we've crossed the halfway line in it seven times, which is more than I thought, but still doesn't anywhere near justify doing it. Just. Yeah, it's just asking for trouble. But, I mean, after that, obviously, we, to be fair, we did play better at Stoke, um, I thought. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what you thought about it. But I thought, like, we did create a lot more chances than we had done previously. I think we were still a little bit open. But I was far more encouraged in that game. And it did coincide with the change in formation as well, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, before before we get on to that, I am interested in your Stu's opinions on the goal kick routine. And everybody <laughs> listening will know what we're talking about here. Um mm. I mean, do, do you get it? I mean, Stu, you, you watch an awful lot of football. You've played it to um, a, a, a decent level as well. Um, do, do you get the the, um, the goal kick routine and the, the insistence on persisting with it up until up until that point? Yeah, I, mean, I understand the, the principle behind it, obviously, that you've got a, a straightforward on the face of it, two on one. But... It's what happens thereafter, isn't it? And my concern was always that it would then ended up with with Fisher. Um, that in itself, I sort of found slightly odd because I'd feel like the two on one, you'd want the outfield player ending up with the ball afterwards, which obviously mean would mean you'd then have to sort of switch roles in the, uh, you know, in terms of how you do that. But anyway, it would end up with Fisher. It was that straight ball into Grimes or Fulton that I always used to fear. You know, I, I seem to recall us conceding against Fulham like that. Um, yeah, uh, you know where it feels signposted what we're going to do, and that Fulton or Grimes would, or, or Allen now would would drop the ball off to one of the two wide centre halves, and that they would start reading that. And and I think you could. It was just you know the number. It's risk and reward, isn't it? You know how many times do you get into the opposition half playing out that way? How many times do you have your heart in your mouth and um, not heart in your mouth because you think this could go wrong, but because it does go wrong. And, and, you know, I think that started to transmit to the players as well. I said this to Steve the other day. I mean, we're in opposite stands, but I asked what it was like in the, in the East stand when we were taking those goal kicks, because I can feel it round by us, you know, in um, not just round by us, but that, that, that whole end of the stadium that, that people I think sort of, you know, groaning and moaning thinking here we go again and that must transmit to the players too but personally I would just prefer to see us it was the first thing I looked at on Saturday when we started doing it differently and I was relieved set up with two um, centre-backs in the the penalty area an option to go either side so the opposition doesn't know what you're going to do 
um yeah, it, it, the I hadn't seen the Stoke game live, but then um, I saw the footage. I think it was the first thing, wasn't it, on the on the highlights reel that the club yeah, put out, you know? Um, and obviously, it just looks, you know, uh, you know, calamitous really in that sense, where it then comes back off the bar and Gale somehow doesn't score. But yeah, it became it became obviously a real talking point. I'm always fascinated by how teams play out, and I don't. The one ball I really don't like is the straight ball. You saw. Um, Man United do this against Brentford, didn't you? When when De Gea gets the ball back off Martinez and then plays a ball into Ericsson's feet, the, I always think it's just asking for someone to be right up behind you pressing. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a routine that I think it becomes such a big talking point among fans. Um, and and yeah, I, I think you know, the vast majority of, peop- of people will be will be relieved that that has now that has now changed. Um, and, and I don't know what you know whether that has changed also because Bender's come in, or whether it's changed because enough was enough at Stoke. That that's the sort of sixty-four thousand dollar question, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if if the routine didn't change after Stoke, it was never going to. If I'm being honest, because the amount of times that we put ourselves under pressure, um, it's hard to believe, really. Um, well, I didn't see the equaliser get. I I seem to recall you or someone else saying that we 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 were. Um, we were our own worst enemy on with regard yeah. to how that came about. Is that right? What? what yeah, basically, basically the ball was passed back to Fisher, and he had all the time in the world, but waited and waited and waited until he was under pressure from um, the Stoke striker. I can't remember who it was, but then he kind of fluffed the clearance then um, and passed it straight to um, a Stoke player, and we were stretched. Um, we don't react well to transitions. We know this. Uh, mm. And Norton was kind of forced into a foul on the edge of his own area. And from that free kick, they obviously scored. So, um, again, talk about game management late in the game. Um, you know, we'd, we'd scored a, a well-worked goal. Um, Piru, get, you know, I think that was his first goal from open play this season. Yeah. Um, I, from a good soaring all across as well. He looked better against Stoke um, than he had been in previous games. We'd, we'd played some decent football and, and created some chances in the first half. And the only times that Stoke in the entire game really looked like scoring was pretty much just from set pieces and from our mistakes. And the goal that they scored was a combination of both, really. We'd, we'd, we'd given them the free kick due to us just dawdling at the back and, and making poor decisions. Um, and then, you know, Stoke, they're quite a big team. They have got that threat from set pieces and they finally managed to get the breakthrough right at the end. And it, I mean, Steve, it was just so frustrating to watch us again give away the lead late on in the game. Or at least it wasn't, you know, it was only a one goal lead on this occasion. But there was a sense of deja vu, wasn't there? Yeah, I just think, the, like you say, the frustration of the man of it. I think before the game, most of us probably would have taken the point. And if I'm honest as well, I think it was probably a fair result, um, like on the balance of the game. But we did play a lot better. Because again, like you say, it's that fact that we had that chance to see the game out. We were winning for 85 minutes or however long it was. And ultimately, we, we've not won again, have we? So I think that was the, the frustration, even though we, uh, there were more positives than we'd seen for in most of the other games that do in the season. It's just, as you say, the feeling of deja vu and that, you know, when it comes to the crunch, we can't see games out. And obviously, it's costing us points. And, you know, it's two points dropped again, isn't it? You can't look at it any other way than when you're going into injury time and you're, you've are you got the lead. 
it has to be two points dropped. You can't be thinking it's, you know, a, a good result or you'd have taken it before the game. You've, you've got to look at it and think, well, we, we've blown it. That was a great chance to get three points on the board. And we didn't see the, the game out. Yeah, I mean, one positive from that game, certainly. And there were there were several positives from that game. But the biggest one for me was the performance of Ollie Cooper. Um, and he, again, had a very good game against um, QPR, a game which we're going to come on to discuss now. But um, just like to get both of your impressions really on Cooper and the way he's played over the last two games, it's, it, it, it feels like it's been a long time coming, um, this kind of go in the first team. He's been waiting to make this breakthrough for a while, had a great loan spell at Newport County um, where he was one of the best players in League Two. Um, and now he's come into the team and injected a bit of energy into into our play. And I think the general consensus among fans, Steve, is that it's um, it's made quite the difference. Yeah, it has. I mean, like you say, we, we felt a bit slow at times, not a lot of pace in the team, not much creativity. And and Cooper has made a difference with the, um, some of those things. I mean, at, at Stoke, like you say, he played really well. He even could have scored a, a, an incredible overhead kick, couldn't he, during the game? I mean, it just felt like he, he was came into the team. It was quite fearless, which you sometimes get with younger players. And as you say, he played well there. And there was some really good link-up with him and Joel Perrault. And, and that continued really into the game on Saturday. So I think it's it's very encouraging. It's, it almost feels like a new signing sometimes when a youngster gets in the team and and sort of exceeds um, expectations. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged by him. I mean, I, we sh- obviously, we shouldn't expect uh, too much from him. He is still a youngster. Um, and there may be games where he is a little bit inconsistent. But I think there's there's definitely a player in there. And, you know, um, I think everyone will be hoping he's in the team again Saturday because he, he certainly deserves to keep his place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Stu, you, you watched the game against QPR at the weekend. Yeah. Um, we spoke about the improvement at Stoke. I think it's fair to say that there was quite quite a lot more improvement then again against um, QPR. Um, what were your overall impressions of um, the performance in that match? Yeah, it was a really interesting game. Um, not least because finally we had less possession in, in the opposition. And, um, and yet um, I came away feeling so much happier, not just with the result, but I just felt I thought Bender did really well. There was a lot of pressure on him. I always think it's really, really difficult for a goalkeeper to come in, especially the way we play. But for a goalkeeper to come in and you've been given that opportunity and you know you've got to take it, really. Um, and I felt his distribution was was really good. It's been a criticism that's been levelled at him. He's obviously made mistakes in the past. He did when he was in the team before under Martin. Uh, but I felt Saturday he just he didn't take risks. Just exactly what you're saying then about that incident at Stoke. You know, from how you've described that, it feels like Bender would have managed that very differently. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and that and that was that was good to see on Saturday. I know there was some people almost cheering when he put his foot through the ball, kind of thing. You know, uh, a sense of relief. You, you don't want him doing that all the time, but I just felt his decision making was good, and his shot stopping was good. He made a terrific save, uh, pushing one over at the towards, towards the end of the second uh, first half, uh, and an important save in the. In the second half, he's got presence. I feel like when he when a ball goes into the box, he's going to come and claim it. I'm never quite sure. If Fisher doesn't feel the goal in that way um, to me. So that that was all really encouraging. Um, yeah, Oli Cooper did, did well again. Um, he just seems to have that. I like those players who... who 
who want to make attacking runs, who want to make those runs in behind that can make a difference. We haven't had enough of that. You know, and it, we've been playing in front of teams an awful lot. And it's difficult because they get players behind the ball. But then this sort of counter argument would be, can our build-up play be quicker? But just felt Cooper, like, on the goal... He, he got into um, you know a really good position. He was selfless then. Second half, actually, it was a shame. I remember that instant where he went through on the right and he just took a little bit too long. And in fairness, the QPR player got back and made a terrific recovery tackle. But he could have easily had another um, another assist to his name there. So, so that was good. It was nervy at times. Certainly the last four minutes. Jeez. Um, uh, I mean, I thought the fans were brilliant, actually, how they really created a fantastic atmosphere then, because deep down, everyone, let's be honest, was, was squeaky bump time, wasn't it? You know, we weren't, um, uh, we were all fearing the worst again, but it felt like everyone got really behind behind the team. I think also we have to be fair and say that we should have been down to 10 men inside two minutes. I mean, that, that was right in front of me, and I just could not believe what I was seeing. And I think Ben Ben seems I don't know him as person at all. He seems such an honest lad and he plays the game that way. I love the fact that when we have a set piece, when he comes up, I actually think we might score. Um whereas I'd be one of the things I'd say about Bennett, a big guy, I never ever felt when he went in the opposition penalty or anything was gonna happen. And we've had quite a few centre backs out, but with with Ben he was unlucky on the weekend. But to counter that, say some of his decision making, there was another one where he first half tried to shepherd a ball out of play. And if you remember it, and then and the yeah. lad ended up picking his pocket. And I was thinking, Ben, just put it out. And and that that one early on, well, I mean, Willett was just was just probably too honest, really. Um, let's let's be honest, fellas. If that was roles reversed, we would have been screaming for the QPR player to be sent off, and would have been really annoyed. And I just couldn't understand how how Ben dealt with that. So so that was a worry. But hey, on the balance of what happened at Stoke, the Millwall game. Um, it felt like we deserved, um, you know, uh, a bit of luck. And certainly in the first half, I felt there was a spell when we played some good stuff, created some chances and really pleasing also that we didn't allow the disappointment of the missed penalty to sort of, um, to change the course of the game against us. So, yeah, I came away from there springing my step on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. And Steve, goes without saying, so important that we did hold on. And, it was an interesting one because in the first half, I felt it was a very open game. Both teams had their chances. Um, both teams will feel that there should have been more goals in that first half, not least because we had that penalty which we missed. And I'll be honest, I was dreading the worst when when that penalty was saved. I was thinking, oh, it's going to be another one of those days. Um, but it's so important that we did get that goal very quickly afterwards. Um but that second half, I think we saw a different side to the Swans. I think we we managed the game quite well. QPR had all the ball. They had all the possession. But they didn't really do much with it. I mean, there was one long-range effort which um, uh, Bender saved with a kind of unconventional save. I, th- I think it was deflected on the way through. Other than that, I can't really remember QPR creating too much. And that's that. it's not really like us to, to manage a game that well. And... I think, the, like Stu said there, the, the fans played their part in the final stages with the noise that we created. But you could see what it meant to the players that they were able to withstand that pressure and, and give Bender that kind of protection. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't beat a prolonged Barmy army, I don't think. That's, uh, that's definitely something <laughs> I, I would say. There's something about that, definitely, chanting-wise. Um, but yeah, I thought we, we did do well. I mean, I, I haven't spoken about Bender yet, but I just thought he, he, he made... The, the right decisions. It's 
for me, it's the best game that he's had for us. He made a couple of good saves. I mean, one, that deflected one in the second half was a big one. And he, he went short when he, he could. And then when he couldn't, he went longer. And that was the correct thing to do, really. I think he did exude a bit of confidence on the, the defence. But there was good um, some good defending as well. I mean, if you look at, at the end, there was a bit of pressure. And there was some bodies being thrown in front of the ball and all stuff like that. And it was it seemed like there was like proper defensive moves being made by us then at that point. Just desperation to make sure that we we saw the game out. And I wonder sometimes if we, we haven't been a, a too good at that, obviously. And that's been one of the reasons why later on we've um, we've conceded. But not to be fair, we obviously I think there were nerves but understandably because of the what's happened previously. But at the same time, um there weren't too many reasons to feel like we were going to blow it other than that, really. Um, we, we did a lot, a lot better. And like psychologically, that should be a big thing for us now, seeing out the game where there was a little bit of pressure on us. And obviously our record of doing so has been poor. So, yeah, fingers crossed now. Um, we're in that situation again. We, we've got that experience of, of seeing it out and we'll be able to make more of a habit of it rather than caving in. Uh, Stu, how big is psychology in in these type of situations? Because obviously the Swans had squandered leads in so many games um, towards the end of last season and then the start of this one. Sometimes, you know, two or three goal leads. Um, How much pressure do you think that that puts the team under then when they do have a lead to protect in the final stages? Yeah, I think absolutely it must play on people's minds because of just how bad that... um record has been you know obviously the Bournemouth game last season I was at the Reading one I just couldn't believe what I was seeing that day um, but I don't think it's just psychological I think obviously that's a big part of it but I think also the simple the simple thing of stopping crosses coming into the box that's what really annoyed me about Millwall um, that was clearly where their threat was going to come from maybe that suited us more on the weekend that QPR weren't really going to play that way and start pumping in diagonals and um, but that was, I mean, I remember the final goal at Reading um, when Christie was, you know, um, standing off his man, allowed them to to lock a, you know, 40, 50 yard ball into the box. And with us, you just fear the worst in that situation. We're not the biggest side. Um, and equally, you know, with, with that Millwall game, I was just really so annoyed that we allowed two balls to come into the box in that way. I still think we can do more on that. So what I'm trying to say is I think the psychology is part of it. Of course, it is a big part of it, but I also think generally our sort of decision making. There were a couple of moments towards the end on Saturday where I felt we did make good calls with the ball, you know, in terms of where the areas we were trying to take it to kill the game, to waste time, uh, to run the clock down, you know, things that aren't particularly nice to watch, but we need our team to do in those situations. Um, so the decision making generally has got to be better. It's like that, you know, the Millwall game for me is just ridiculous. That, and I know we've been doing that centre for a while but you've just conceded an injury time and then it's your kickoff and your possession team and you kick it straight back to Millwall and I think if you're going to do that one that Grimes he does you've got to overhit it and go over the fullback's head and it goes out for a throw and at least they're taking a throw near their corner flag instead of that I seem to remember their centre their fullback nodding it back to their keeper he's got the ball in his hands going to pump out the field and you think how have we managed to do that Um, so yeah, psychology, yeah, to reiterate, it, it is a factor, but our decision-making has just got to be better. And, and, you know, it's easy to say when the clock's ticking down, but if we are a possession team, then, you know, being brave on the ball in the right areas. And um, I always felt Andre was good for us in that way. Um, I seem to remember the Cardiff 
one yeah. nil when Wilmot scored. I don't know if you remember that. He kept the ball in the corner for what felt like about three minutes um, at the end. It was him and Routledge, wasn't it? Yeah. They, well, there you go, Steve. Do you know what I mean? Two really yeah, experienced, two players. experienced players. And on that note, you've made me think of something there. I do think the experienced players need to step up with this team. It, th- there are a number of young players in there. And it's like Pato. Pato's season, obviously, for injury hasn't got started. He was huge for us last season with his goals and assists. If he, he can get back somewhere near that form... You know, weighing in with eight nine goals, eight nine assists, and you know that would be that would be so big for us. So, I'd, I'd, but I'd also like to see players like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he came on in Nicham in, in the Stoke game, and 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 yet you know, young Ollie Cooper comes off, and players like that should be coming on and helping us see out games, not the opposite happening. I guess the real shame in all this, obviously, is that Joe has been building his fitness and. And you wonder if, you know, in the Millwall game, for example, if he's out there for 95 minutes, do we win the game? It shouldn't need just one player to make that difference. But I, I do think um, I do think someone like him can help the people around him make good decisions. Yeah, agreed. Well, hopefully the win against QPR will give us a platform to build, which is something that's been difficult during the Russell Martin era, I think. But before we go on to discuss the uh, the upcoming matches, um, just going to take a little detour uh, away from the Swans um, and talk about a former Swans manager who is uh, hitting the headlines, really. Um, it's one of the biggest stories in football at the moment. Graham Potter being hotly linked with the vacant Chelsea position now that Thomas Tuchel has been um, shown, the, uh, shown the exit. Um, I mean, Stu, you you you've written about Potter. You've spoken to Potter in the past. Um, he was very very highly thought of during his one season at the Liberty, um, in a way that I think would have seemed a bit strange to a lot of fans outside of Swansea because our results weren't spectacular for a, a newly relegated Premier League team. But um, he really did inspire a lot of people down here and he did and he had a lot of affection from Swansea City fans um I know you think very highly of him how well what's your opinion on the fact that he's being linked then with uh this move to one of the biggest clubs in Europe yeah I feel a bit sorry for Brighton which I shouldn't do really because they took our manager um but uh I I do just because I think they're going along fantastically and I'm and I'm intrigued hey he might end up staying but um I'd be really intrigued to see how far he could take Brighton, what he could achieve there. And I wonder what they'll do next. But yeah, I think Graham's earned this opportunity. I really do. He's, um, you know, you think of his career story and uh, how hard he's worked to get on that managerial ladder, knowing that no one really would have looked at him 10, 12 years ago. So he goes out to the fourth tier in Sweden, you know, moves his family out there, starts a whole new life there, coaching at a low level, works his way up, has incredible success, you know, gets into Europe with a team that had no right to be there. And, and then, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's really interesting what you say about how he would have been perceived from the outside, you know, from non Swansea fans after that first season with us, because you had to understand the context, didn't you? That he walked into a club that was in a real mess that couldn't make use of the parachute payments in the way that relegated clubs normally do. Morale was really, really low around the place. And, and that deadline day, we talked about that at the start of the piece. I mean, that deadline day was utterly bonkers. I think he was left with one centre-back, wasn't he? And then he obviously promoted Joey Roden to the team. So, yeah, I, I recall him going and some Brighton fans sort of saying, well, what have we done here? You know, Chris Hewton shouldn't have been sacked. And 
Um, he's just finished 10th in the championship. Why are we taking a manager who's finished 10th in the championship? And I think we probably knew, um, okay, we might not have been able to say that he'd be, you know, probably getting the Chelsea job three years later, but um, we knew he was a really good manager um, and uh, had a clear playing philosophy, which I think people, the Swansea fans wanted to see returned, obviously, after playing survival football for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, he's, he was just... I just really liked how upbeat he was as well in difficult circumstances. He he rarely had a, a moan or a whinge about the board or their own, the owners. He just got on with the job. And, of course, he brought through some really, really good players. And Swansea fans will have different views on this. I see some saying he should have achieved more with that group. Um, and I understand why they think we should have got to the playoffs. But I, I think you have to also have an understanding of what the culture of the club was like at that time, you know, off the field and just how much um, rebuilding needed to be done away from the pitch in terms of just lifting morale around the place. So, um, yeah, you know, McBurney obviously thrived under him. Dan James was just so exciting to watch. Um, and maybe if we'd have had a bit more consistency out of some of the other players like Leroy Furs and we, we, we um, yeah, we might have had some more success. The, the great unknown is what we would have done if Graham had stayed on for another season. So I, I don't know what... Steve's thoughts are on that, but I, I would love to have seen what he could have achieved, you know, with uh, with another 12 months in charge of the Swans. Let's find out, Steve. Do you think, you know, we would have um, we would have gone on to bigger and better things had had he stayed? I mean, it's worth remembering he would have lost. Um, he would probably still have lost Ollie McBurney and Dan James, who were key players in that team. But do you think another season would have been enough to do it? Um, I think we would have had a decent chance of a top six finish if he'd um, stayed, just because it felt like we were on the right track again. I mean, he was getting the best out of of what he had. Obviously, I know people might say that we should have done better with him, but what people have got to remember here is that, yeah, he did have Dan James, but I remember when he first came into the team that he was like a boy playing man's football, very inexperienced. Joe Roden had only played about a dozen games in his career for Cheltenham. Um, Connor Roberts obviously hadn't played too many games. McBurney, the same. I mean, it was a very inexperienced team and those players were significantly better at the end of that season than the start. So, you know, I think if they'd had, if they'd been as good at the start, uh, as they, at the start of the season as they were at the end, then maybe we would have got in there. As The only gripe I really had with Potter was the goalkeeping situation because I felt like Mulder was doing well and then got binned for Nordvelt and then he continued to struggle. Mulder ended up back in, then Nordvelt got it again. That was the bit that was all over the place, I think that probably contributed to us not getting in the playoffs. But it did really feel like we were on an upward trajectory again. We were enjoying the football. And even though we would have lost players, I, I did think we were onto something with Potter. But um, yeah, unfortunately, being stitched up several times by the club and then getting a better offer, he unsurprisingly decided to take it. And you can't really blame him. But um, it's an interesting one. If he goes to Chelsea, I'd, I'd like to see him do well. I mean, I think he deserves the chance. He is a top manager. Uh, you know, what he did in Sweden was extraordinary. So, you know, um, yeah, good luck to him as far as I'm concerned. If I think it's my, you know, taking my lad along to Swansea and obviously he's, he's, um, well, he's only 11. So he hasn't had the, the glory years that you guys had and uh, what you saw growing up, Steve, etc. I know you saw some grim times as well um, <laughs> before you correct me. But, um, you know, that, that Selena goal against Man City um, was just... And it just just a wonderful moment. Um, that 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 was Graham Potter football for me. Um, it, it was just so 
brilliant to watch us play in that bravely. And actually, um, George Byers had a fairly influential part in that goal. I recall him getting it on the half turn, and he did really well under Potter. Um, he just seemed to make just seemed to make players better and, and they all when you spoke to the players they loved playing for him they loved him as a person you know he was so he came across to them as so genuine with them um you know really properly had time for them and was interested in them as people not just footballers and 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 I think they found it really educational under him the way he'd analyze opposition and how he wanted to change formations and I know it used to drive the fans mad at times but you know he, he changed, had no qualms about 15 minutes in switching to a different system and then changing to something else and and I know with us as supporters sometimes we used to think oh, what's he done with the team today and you remember that when the team used to come out and you'd be like what, what, where's Potter got this team from kind of thing but he was brave with the with the things he was doing and um yeah, crying shame that with that Man City game didn't end the way we wanted it to. But that second goal, I just remember that feeling in the stadium at that time that you'd seen something really special against, you know, the team that's supposed to be scoring goals like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was a, that was a really uh, a moment I'll never forget that, to be fair. There were so many goals that season that were just... They were just d- defy belief, really. I mean, the, the bravery that it took to play that way, that the silky nature of it, the the confidence and the self belief. It was just it was just a brilliant, brilliant team to watch and a very lovable team to watch as well, which is one of the things I remember about it. Very, very young, full of personality and yeah, I it's one of the most fun seasons that I can remember watching the Swans, which which says a lot because we have had a lot of fun seasons down the year. Um, I mean, Stu, you said there about the way he he would improve players and and just make it work. I think he's continued that at, at Brighton, really. Where obviously they've got a very good uh, scouting network there. They do buy um, very very well, but there, there are players there that he's just taken to new levels. I mean, you only have to have to look at somebody like Danny Welbeck and the way he's playing. I think Welbeck's always been, you know, a, a decent enough Premier League striker. Um, fine, nothing special. Um, even when he was playing for Man United and Arsenal, you know, by pre- by by those club standards, I don't think he ever he ever really looked like he belonged at that level. And he's been at Brighton and looked, you know, fine, but nothing special. And then this season, when I see him, I just think, how how has he turned into this player? You know, he's he he looks spectacular. And this is after you know um, the likes of Kukurea has gone to Chelsea for for massive money. And you just look at the what. Potter's done to that club, which I think was at a bit of a, a crossroads when um, Hewton, um w- was sacked. You know, he'd, he'd done a very good job there, but it looked like things were going awry and they looked like that team that was a bit like Swansea going to be circling the drain for a couple of seasons. And he's just turned it around and got them playing this fantastic football and beating big teams, etc. With that in mind, do you think he will he he's got what it takes to succeed at Chelsea because I've just got my doubts about the fit. Um every club he's ever been to, Potter, he's had the benefit of patience and he's had owners and fans who have been willing to put up with um experimental football, um with um um a, a long term game really, um which has enabled him to succeed. Chelsea aren't really associated with long-term thinking. And it just feels at the moment like the club isn't really what it has been in recent years. They've had a difficult summer. Um, 
struggle to bring in players. The squad looks a bit of a mishmash. They've obviously had a really bad start to the season. I I just fear that this probably isn't the ideal club for for Potter to to move into. And while I think he's got the makings of a top six manager, personally, I'm not sure if Chelsea is the top six club for him. I know, yeah. I know what you mean. I mean the the real issue with Chelsea obviously has been this has been under Abramovich for twenty years, and obviously we, we know the score with Abramovich. Don't we? If you if you're not successful, you get sacked, and obviously if you are successful, the moment that the, the levels drop, you get sacked. So I mean, if that continues, then it definitely isn't the club for him. But I mean, there has been murmurings that that may now have changed, and it is more of a long term strategy there. So I mean, if that's the case, it, maybe it is the job for him. I mean. The, the biggest issue for anyone who's in the top six at the moment obviously knows that for as long as Pep is at Man City, for example, it's going to be unbelievably difficult to have real success because they, you know, they've got such a big budget. They've got top players, the, probably the manager everybody wants. I mean, Liverpool have been unlucky the last couple of years, but they haven't managed to you know, overhaul them too often. So, you know, it's, it is a challenge and it will depend on what the expectations are at Chelsea. Are they, are they expecting to compete with Man City at the moment? Because if they are, I think they're, you know that whoever's in charge is going to have a problem. Whereas I think if they're a bit more realistic and they're thinking more of top four and then maybe have a go in the next couple of years of trying to win the league, then maybe it isn't such a bad job. But I think it's one of them where I think if you've been interviewed by them, almost you need to interview them now with a new owner <laughs> to find out exactly what the score is. I mean, you think, I know everyone has said, for example, that Man United isn't a great run club and obviously they probably haven't been the last few years, but you would have thought if he went there, for example, he would get time. So you always have that in mind. You've got to be a bit careful, I think, given you. I mean, we don't know a great deal about this Chelsea owner at the moment. So I do understand your concerns, but let's be realistic. If he's offered it, there's absolutely no way he's turning that down. I wouldn't have thought. No, I think that's fair, Steve. I, that's, I, I do think it's a really good question. And, and, and I, I feel like you, that it's not the perfect fit. Um, I do really believe that Graham Potter has what it takes to be a successful manager at elite level and I believe he's got that now uh, in my mind Um, but it's just that churn of managers at Chelsea and that um, lack of patience which you touched on Uh, that 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 would be the worry but then I just I also think how can how can you Steve how can you turn that down what's going to be what's going to be the next job you're going to get similar to that you know realistically Pep's going to carry on at City for a while and and would Graham get that anyway I don't know um Klopp and Liverpool um I think they're doing pretty poorly as we speak tonight but um uh, I don't see you know that change what I'd have felt would probably been a good fit for, for Graham Potter would probably have been Arsenal um more than the others um even Tottenham they've been linked in the past and um, you know they've they've had a uh, you know since Pochettino's left obviously they've chopped and changed I don't see Conte going anytime soon so uh, why I'm saying all this is that's why I think it's so hard for Graham Potter to look at that opportunity if he is offered it and say no nah, I'm going to stay at Brighton um, I think you'd you'd always worry will I regret not not going for it but yeah you've got to look at it another way haven't you as well and like let's use the example of when Brendan Rodgers left the Swans to go to Liverpool I mean. You know, if you get sacked by Liverpool, you are then going to get a Leicester job, aren't you? True. So if Porter gets sacked by Chelsea, you might walk into an Aston Villa or something like that. But yeah. if it turns to Brighton and he gets sacked, then what happens? He ends up in the Championship, possibly, doesn't he? Yeah. It's yeah. a funny one. That's why you, you really can't say no. And obviously, financially as well, yeah, if he gets sacked, it's such a big payout, isn't it? I mean, that that's the other side of it. If it doesn't go 
the right way, you'll still get another decent job after it. Whereas if it turns sour at Brighton, he won't really. No, and and of course, the, and it's not not the interesting aspect of all of this, but it intrigues me is what Brighton do next if he does go. Um, Tony Bloom was ahead of the curve with Potter, really. I don't think there were any other Premier League clubs that would have given Graham that opportunity after his first season with Swansea. Um, but he, by all accounts, he you know was right across Potter um, before we appointed him. Um, so um, there, there are been a brilliantly forward-thinking club. Their recruitment's been amazing to think that they've, you know, sold players on this summer and still um, improved, so it says everything really. So they will have someone in mind um, and I'm just, I'm really interested what they do because they've obviously got to try and um, continue that, that, that sort of brilliant time they've had, which to me feels a little bit like the, probably the Swans many years ago. And, um, Obviously, we lost our way with recruitment and managers and, and the philosophy, really. Um, uh, but I, I can't see that happening at, at Brighton. It is going to be a really interesting one. It does seem as though uh, everything's gearing towards a move to Chelsea. We'll uh, have to watch it. But I, th- I think every single Swansea fan is going to have a vested interest in, in that one. And we're going, to have, we're going to be just watching that intently to see exactly how it turns out because there is still so much goodwill towards um, Graham Potter for what he did in that in that season under trying circumstances. Um, speaking of trying circumstances, um, Birmingham City, um, their fans have had some difficult times um, of late and that's where we are going um, this weekend. Steve, I think you're heading up to St Andrews. Um, Birmingham have... Um, they sat, they got rid of uh, Lee Bowyer just before the season started um, and predictably, perhaps, uh, when you look at the way their summer went, they're just above the relegation zone at the moment. It's not far below us, it has to be said. Um but it's it's been another tricky start to the to the season for them. Um, dare I say th- this is a game that both teams are going to look at and think there's there's a decent chance of points here because they are so close to each other in the table. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I've, I can't say I've seen a lot of Birmingham. The only time was where I was in uh, the Manchester pub in in Blackpool before um, before the game, um, where we, because they played Cardiff, didn't they, on the same day. And um, they've Cardiff, to be honest, seemed like the better team and won quite comfortably. So I think Birmingham are a great side. They did win at Preston, didn't they, the other day, 1-0. So that'll give them confidence. But, I mean, as you say, we should be thinking to ourselves, well, we played quite well the other day. They're no great shakes. We can get a result against them. And they're probably looking at the same way as us and saying, well, Swansea haven't had a great start to the season. You know, this is an opportunity for us to get points on the board. So I think it's a game that could go either way, really. Stu, what do you make of Birmingham this season? Because they are the team that I have tipped for relegation every single season hmm. since we've been in the Championship, I think. And they just never quite managed to get flushed down to League One. Um, even though they, they've always got these problems, they don't seem like a very well-run club. Um, no. They've changed managers now um, before the uh, right before the season started. Um, very interesting, of course, the fact they've gone for John Eustace, who is a manager who is linked with us. Um, I think before we went for um, Russell Martin, wasn't it? Uh, we were very closely linked with him. Um, right. That adds a, a bit of intrigue to this weekend's um, uh, fixture, I would say. Yeah, absolutely it does. Although I was just looking back then, I was intrigued as we were talking, thinking, because Eustace had a reputation for playing some um, tremendous football. I know it was at Kidderminster, uh, the caveat on that, but that, that was his... 
he had a real clear philosophy of playing um, possession football. But I've just looked at the last couple of results and seen that their possession is, you know, was well down at Preston and and equally against Huddersfield. So um, it might be. Um, it might be almost a typical game against Birmingham in that way. I actually went there with you last Steve, uh, last season, Steve, wasn't it? Um, yeah, that's uh, right. I think I got COVID there, actually. Uh, um, so I've not got happy memories. We lost 2-1. We didn't play particularly well. Obafemi scored, I seem to remember. That was his first goal, perhaps. Um, yeah, that but, was his first goal. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's... I don't know. I, I just... It's one of those... <laughs> one of those old-school grounds, isn't it? And, and, and I, I just feel... We've got to go there. It'd be really nice if we went there and put on a put on a performance not dissimilar to Saturday, where we show a bit of grit. Um, I, I think we'll need to do that. I don't think it's this, you know, sort of place where you're going to be able to play a comfortable possession football and, and get a result. I think they'll they'll press the hell out of us. I'm sure when we're trying to do that. So um, yeah, it'd, it'd be lovely to think we could go there and get a, get a win because also. I'm very conscious of what's around the corner. And I know managers and players don't well, at least say they don't think like this to just take it one game at a time. But October looks a really tough month to me. Uh, and even the games that I thought might be a bit more gentle, Reading and Bristol City, given how those two teams have started, look like tough games as well now. So I just feel on the back of the draw against Stoke and winning against QPR, I'd be really disappointed if we didn't at the very least get a point at Birmingham. I do think it's an opportunity um, to, to go there and get a win. But it'd be nice to think Obafemi would be involved. Um, you know, we don't have loads of uh, attacking options um, outside of Piro. So it would be, that, that would be encouraging if he's at the very least on the bench and we can inject some pace if we need to. And then, as I said earlier, I think some of those players whose seasons hasn't got started for different reasons, I think, you know, it'd be, not, it'd be good to see Patterson um, put in a really good display and then hopefully some of the lads who came on with encouraging cameos on the weekend the youngsters on loan can 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 do that thing again but yeah to go back to your point on boom I look at the championship and I just think it, it's it's mad in my eyes you know that Reading got hammered in the first two games they got beaten heavily at Rotherham wasn't it I seem to recall and then they suddenly go and string a load of results I think Bristol City lost their first two um, and, uh, and we're near the bottom after three games and now they they can um, be at the other end of the table. Um, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's classic championship. I, on the face of it, I, I don't feel as if it is that strong the league, you have to say that. Um, and so, you know, all the more reason for us, hopefully, to, to sort of start getting, working our way out the table. Yeah, I, I agree entirely with that. It, it feels like a more open league this season. I think there are fewer... Um, stand outside um, at either end of the table, if I'm being honest. Um, Steve, but Birmingham have only scored five goals this season. Only Cardiff have um, scored fewer. Um, hopefully that will suit us. I mean, they've got they've also got one of the lowest possession stats in the league. It feels like another one of those games where we are going to have a majority of the possession, which is going to feel a bit strange after the last few games. Um what are the kind of attributes that you'd like to see us take into this game from the last two games if we are to really build momentum? Because I do feel that's been a real weakness under Russell Martin. We've we've had good results and haven't built on them. What do we need to do to actually build on the the improvements of the last few weeks? Then we just need to do similar things to what we've done in the last couple of games. Like we need to take more risks going forward. We need, you know, the type of runs from Ollie Cooper and his link up play with Perot. I mean Saul Renola. 
has played better in that right wing position as opposed to playing as a as a wing back. So there's that as well. I mean, we look at Patterson from last week, and he was quite anonymous. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being dropped. Um, I mean, could Orko Flex come into the team? I mean, he had a bit of pace about him. You could tell it was he was the type of player that wanted to try and beat a man from his cameo the other day. So. I mean, there's, there's that. It feels now like we've got those type of options, so that, like I said earlier, really, and that's that's what's encouraging. But we I think we rather than taking risks on our own half, we need to, you know, take risks in the opposition half. That's my main thing. Whereas if you give the ball away in the opposition half, it's not really a massive deal, is it? You're not, it shouldn't cost you. But I mean, but if you get it right, I mean, you you find yourself in on goal on occasions. So I think that's what I I want to see from us. Really, I just want us to approach it with confidence and. You know, the, this game could be there for the take. And if we play well, we've got the the players to to hurt the opposition. So, you know, that I just hope we go there with that intent rather than, you know, at times play, trying to play a little bit too safe. Yeah, and there'll be a big crowd up uh, at St. Andrews on that away end as well. Um, so it should be a, a great day out. Let's hope we can get the result. Let's just finish off by uh, looking ahead to next Tuesday's match. Uh, and the visit to the Liberty of Sheffield United. Now, early on in the season, when we were trying to work out who would be um, top, I actually predicted Sheffield United to win the league, but that was simply because I didn't really see any other convincing um, uh, candidates. And I can't say that I really believed that Sheffield United were going to do that well, but eight games into the season and they are top of the league. And Stu... um, well, this is going to be a very nostalgic pod, let's face it. Um, it that's partly down to the uh, resurrection of Ollie McBurney, who I think after going 43 league games without the goal, has now scored three and three. Um, I mean, we've always known that McBurney has this ability. We saw it ourselves. But I think there were a lot of Sheffield United fans who definitely felt that, that that Ollie McBurney didn't exist anymore and they've had a bit of a shock really at his um, turnaround in, in recent weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I actually have to confess this. I've sent in the odd message after the, I, I, you know, this is shameful. I didn't actually realise we had uh, Sheffield on Tuesday, um, which is uh, going to cause me major issues um, with trying to get to that game actually. Um, I was just thinking of Hull, which is the Saturday, right? The early kickoff. Yeah. Um, have I got that right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's thrown me completely. And yeah, I was going to say I've been messaging Ollie, and I, I messaged him after he got his goal. So I was so chuffed that he, he's had that long run of not scoring, which must be you know a blooming nightmare for a striker, obviously. Um, and uh, we had a little standing joke going that each time I send his message, he'd get another goal. And I'm certainly not going to send one if he gets one on the weekend. Now that's for sure. Um, yeah, he's. I like him. He divides opinion. Um, I think he loved his time at the Swans. We know that uh, you don't go in your way end at Cardiff um, when you're playing for another football club. Uh, if you uh, don't have a special affinity with that team, you're supporting with your mates and etc. So, um, yeah, I would love to have seen him back at Swansea. Uh, I just, I just think he's got a special connection with with the club um, for whatever reason. You know, coming there as a 16, 17 year old and going through some tough times, trying to find his way and then having that brilliant season under Potter. Uh, so obviously we hope he does next to nothing against us next week, but <laughs> I, I think they've got, I think they've got a good squad. It's, it's a real shame that we didn't get McAtee um, last season. I, I think Russell Martin was pushing hard to try and do that. And City are clearly very selective um, about which players they let out on loan and when they let them go out on loan and to whom 
I think he would have been fantastic for us. So he's obviously gone there and and they've got a good team, you know, when I um when I look through that um look through that side, they've got they've got plenty of options there. And yeah, obviously we hope Oli has a really quiet night against us. But personally I'm really pleased that he's um that he's that he's scoring goals again and Crikey, is, has Brewster even been playing? I saw he played a bit earlier in the season. What's his role in all this now? That's the last thing we need ex-Swansea players playing against us. We've got a dreadful record, haven't we, with regard to that? So I'm not sure if Brewster's injured. I'll have to double-check. I think he's been on the bench. I'm sure he's come on he has. for yeah, McBurney I... recently. So, like I say, because McBurney's been scoring, obviously it's harder for the others to get in the team. And obviously they've had a lot of strikers, haven't they, the last Yeah. Week. So if you've got yeah. someone scoring, the other ones have, have got a problem. Mm, I imagine that though, you know, Bruce, I mean, the idea of us having McBurney or Brewster again would have been, uh, would have been wonderful. But um, yeah, again, I think, you know, to, going over what we said uh, about it being a pretty average championship, I think if you're Sheffield United, I mean, I don't even know about Norwich this season. After a while, that must the whole yo-yo and even the players must become a bit underwhelmed by all of that. But I, I, I feel Chef you have got a really good chance of uh, of going back up, but and that that will be a good test for us because I we haven't had that sort of test this season, which is is why we're all the more disappointed that we haven't got more more points on the board. Um, you know, and that said, look, you know, if we if you see out the Stoke game and the nonsense mm-hmm. in the last few minutes against Millwall doesn't happen, we've got we've won four games, we've got four more points, and we probably have a very different tone about all of this. But I think that would be a really good um, a really good test for us against Sheffield United. Yeah, agreed. And, and Steve, how do you see that going? Because they will be the first team in the current top six um, that we'll have played this season. Um, do you think we're prepared for that match now uh, after, you know, the improvement of the last few games? Or do you think it could be a bit of a rude awakening? Um, I do feel a bit more optimistic um, after the last couple of games. But, I mean, the problem is I'm still not entirely convinced by us defensively. And you know, they've got players that will hurt us. That will be a tough game. Um, I'd be lying if I said I was particularly confident of a result against them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, if there's one thing that we uh, all fear, it's returning Swansea City players when they uh, come back, especially in good form, as uh, Ollie McBurney is. Um, well, it's nice that we've been able to finish on a positive and it's been great to have um, Stuart back on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you back again sometime, Stu. But um, thank you very much for listening to us and uh, hopefully we'll be back with another podcast after the uh, next couple of games. But until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>